Our Old Testament reading is from Daniel chapter 7, and it'll be verses 13 to 18. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. And today's sermon text is from Acts, beginning in the seventh chapter, the 54th verse. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered all throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in this moment, we ask by the power of your spirit that you would do the thing that only you can do. Lord, we pray that you would shine light on these words that are in your word. Lord, that you would shine light on the words that I've prepared. And would you use these words, Lord, to great effect in our hearts and in our souls. Lord, and to give us great hope in our Lord Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So tonight, to begin our time in this story, um, I want to familiarize you with two phrases in Latin. Now, I'm not sure how you feel about Latin phrases on a cold Sunday afternoon, um, but uh, this, is your, this is your chance if you're into it. If you were a classics major in college, this is your moment, all right? 
Um, here's the two phrases. Here's the first one. The first one is imitatio Christi, the imitation of Christ. And the second phrase is quorum Christo, the presence of Christ. So the imitation of Christ and the presence of Christ. The imitation of Christ. For over 2,000 years, Christian people, as they have followed Jesus, have understood almost instinctively that to be a person who belongs to Jesus is to take up a life that imitates Jesus. The Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Thessalonians says, when you were in Christ, when you were brought into Christ, you became an imitator of him. The Apostle Peter says that now that you belong to Christ, you walk in his steps. And Stephen, in this story, shows us what it means and what it costs to imitate Jesus. Now, the presence of Christ, this second phrase. See, Stephen is going to be called to imitate Christ, specifically to imitate Christ in his death, but he cannot do this because of his own resources or his own strength. And you won't be able to either. But instead, we see the very presence of Jesus enabling, empowering, upholding, strengthening, supporting, carrying Stephen in his witness. When you begin to read this story, you begin to think, wait, is this a story about Stephen or is this a story about Jesus? And the answer to the question, of course, is yes. And these two ideas, the imitation of Christ, and we'll take a look at the way Stephen imitates Jesus, the very presence of Christ, the way in which Jesus is there to support and uphold Stephen, will kind of together as we talk about these things lead us to just this main idea. And this is the main thing I want you to hear tonight. If you don't hear anything else I say tonight, this is what you have to hear. Do not miss this part. And it's the most simple thing that maybe I could possibly say to you from this passage, but, but this is it. It's the simple truth that Jesus neither leaves us nor forsakes us. In fact, he will not leave us. He will not forsake us. Another way to say it is he cannot leave us. He cannot forsake us. So let's take a look first at the way in which we see Stephen imitating Christ. Look at verse 54 with me. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. The first thing we see in this passage is a scene of mob violence. 
If you remember from two weeks ago, Stephen has a a speech that he gives to the leaders in Jerusalem. And he essentially tells them two things in this speech. He says, first of all, you people of Jerusalem, you've always had this, this pattern. You've always had this tradition. You've had this habit of constantly ignoring the messengers that God sends to save you. And you've ignored his kind of capital M, final messenger, Jesus. And it is time to now turn to repent and yield to him. He also goes on to tell tell them that the days of their, their temple complex and their temple worship is no longer necessary because this Jesus himself is the place where heaven meets earth. And to belong to Jesus, to, to yield to Jesus, is to do and be everything the temple was always talking about. And of course, they don't like to hear this, just like you and I don't like to hear these kinds of things. And there's a scene of mob violence. I just want to kind of keep unpacking this a little bit. They're enraged. It's a strong word. They're very mad. It's almost the idea that they've lost control of themselves in anger. They ground their teeth at him. Isn't that a vivid phrase? I don't know any other way to act this out other than just to look at you like this. See, I ground my teeth right there. It's, it's angry. It's enraged. It's, it's violence. Look at verse 57. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. They stopped their ears. They literally said, we don't want to hear what you have to say. They screamed loudly to drown him out. This is the scene of kind of unbelievable mob violence here. And Luke is telling us this story and he's writing it this way to remind us of another I was caught up in a scene of mob violence. In that case, the crowd was saying, crucify him, crucify him. See, in fact, in the Stephen story, we've seen conspiracy, false charges, arrest, kind of a fake trial. And in, of course, our Lord Jesus, there's conspiracy, there's arrest, there's a fake trial, there's false charges. Look at verse 58. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. When Luke, the same one who writes this tale of Stephen, wrote the gospel of Luke, he takes pains to remind us that it was Jesus who was brought outside of the city, who was crucified. It's only Luke who tells us that his garments were um, cast lots for, gar- for Jesus' garments. Luke reminds us of this idea of a killing and then people laying garments. In other words, what Luke wants us to see, this is what I want you to see, is that what happened to Jesus is, in this story, happening to Stephen. What's happening to Stephen, to say it in reverse, is quite closely resembling what happened to Jesus. 
And then I want to make sure I say this to you tonight, because it's an idea that the New Testament teaches us again and again and again. The same things that happen to Jesus will eventually happen to you. If you are a follower of Christ, the same things that happen to Jesus will be happening to you. It's a promise. Jesus promises it. Remember, it's Jesus who says, if anyone wants to come after me, that person is going to have to take up a cross and they're going to have to die. Another way that I've tried to say it from here before is that a crucified Savior will necessarily, by definition, have crucified disciples. If the shape of our Lord's life was cross-shaped, the shape of our life of following him will be also. The cross is not just a thing that happened to Jesus, but it is something that happens to all of us who follow him. Let me just say it one more way. Following Jesus will eventually cost you. And it's very likely it will cost you big time. Now hear me. It might not look as dramatic or extraordinary as it looks for Stephen. Like, it's, it's very unlikely, it's very unlikely that one of you here tonight will be brought before a tribunal at the city council and drug outside of the city and killed. That's, that's very, because of your following Jesus, that's, that's very unlikely. But in your own way, in your own path of following Christ, Maybe less dramatically, maybe more ordinarily, maybe less publicly, maybe more privately. What happened to Jesus will happen to you. It's the first thing we kind of see from Stephen is that the things, kind of his his journey of, of imitating Christ involves him meeting the same kind of Death that Christ meets. So let's take a look at how Stephen responds in this moment. There's, there's several things we could say, but I want to point out just a few for you. Look at verse 59. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. This is Stephen entrusting himself to the Lord. Look at verse 60. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. See, when he, when he dies, mercy, grace, love, 
These are the things that come out of his mouth. Do you remember Jesus? When Jesus is on the cross, he cries out with a loud voice, Lord, Father, receive my spirit. You know, it's Jesus on the cross who looks down at the very ones who put him to death. And it's Jesus who says, Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. In other words, what Luke wants us to see is that Stephen is here responding exactly the way that Jesus responded, entrusting himself to God in, in, in preaching, for lack of a better term, mercy and grace for his enemies. And I want, you to, I want to make sure you catch the way those two, two things go together. It's only when we entrust ourselves to the Lord that we could ever say something like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If, if, if we're not entrusting ourselves to the Lord in pain and in trial and in difficulty, if we're not entrusting ourselves to the Lord, we won't ever be able to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, we'll think it's our job to make sure they pay. But see, entrusting ourselves to the Lord creates a kind of freedom where we can respond in love toward others. And we see Stephen doing it. We see Stephen living it. So that's the imitation of Christ in this story. And tonight you might be here and you might be thinking to yourself like, okay, Joel, um, I, don't, I don't know that I could do that. I'm not sure I could endure like that. I'm not sure I have it in me to bear witness to Christ in a moment like this. As the power of evil and darkness and sin and death hurl their stones at me all week long, I'm not Sure, I can endure through that. And I'm here to tell you tonight, you can't. In and of yourself, you don't have the resources. You just don't. You don't, I don't, we don't. Stephen didn't. And that's what brings us to this second idea, the very presence of Christ in this story. Because Stephen is not bearing witness faithfully because of some resource inside of himself. He's bearing, he's bearing witness because of the presence of Jesus upholding him. I want to show it to you just a few different ways. First of all, Verse 55, but he full of the Holy Spirit. You know, it was Jesus who told his disciples, he promised them, I'm going to go away, but when I go away, I'm going to give to you a helper. I'm going to give to you my very life. It's, it's Jesus who said that there's going to be moments when you as my disciples will be drugged before courts. You'll be tried. And in those very moments, I'll give you the words that you're supposed to say. See, it's Jesus' spirit that's strengthening Stephen. 
in this very moment, he's got Jesus' very strength. And then let's keep reading. Verse 55, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. You know, it's really interesting that most of the time when, when Jesus is mentioned in the New Testament, we're told that he's seated at the right hand of God. The idea is that he's seated, ruling and reigning over this world. But in this case, in this vision, he's not sitting but he's standing. What's going on here? What's a little bit of a complicated story in the pages of the Bible? And I'll summarize it for you like this. For Jesus to be standing, it's kind of a courtroom image. And see, in a courtroom, it would be the defense attorney that would be standing. And what we're supposed to see here is that Stephen gets a vision. He gets a picture of the glory of God. And he gets a picture of Jesus standing at his very defense. See, Stephen is being strengthened by Jesus. And he's also experiencing in this moment the safety and security of Jesus. Standing at his defense. I was thinking a lot this week, and if you and I could see a glimpse of Jesus' glory, and we could see Jesus standing at our defense, we might be surprised how many stones we can endure. See, in this moment, Stephen gets to see the thing that you and I can only see dimly. Stephen gets to see the thing that is true, that is true about you and about me, that we have Jesus' strength, that we have the safety and security of Jesus, that we have Christ with us through any and every trial. You see, to be a Jesus follower eventually results in painful things, yes. But to be a follower of Christ at the same time results in so many precious comforts. And Stephen gets to actually see. See, Stephen didn't have the strength Stephen did not have the wherewithal. Stephen did not have the determination. Stephen, in this moment, has Christ. And so do you. Y'all, I, I cannot possibly, could not possibly imagine all the different ways that following Jesus is currently costing you. What I do know is every Sunday afternoon, I know that I preach to people who, at minimum, have endured the hurling stones of at least the devil all week long. And that's addition to all the other things that happen. I cannot possibly know the ways that following Christ has been costly for you. I cannot possibly know that. 
But I do want to make sure that I make very, very, very clear the kind of comforts that's available to you in Christ. Because this is Jesus we're talking about. This is Jesus Christ we're talking about. And here's among the things that Jesus says to those who follow him. This is among the kind of benefits and comforts that Christ offers to those who are enduring pain and difficulty. This is the kind of strength that Jesus gives to support those who are seeking to imitate him. This is the kind of blessings and benefits that come with his presence. In no particular order, there's just the simple fact that this Lord Jesus, the one who's with Stephen right here, right now, that he offers forgiveness for sinners. You see, if it's me, a person who lives his life fairly always trying to make sure that I'm as comfortable as I can possibly be, if it's me, a person who tends to lack faith, if it's me, someone who tends to imitate him sometimes rather poorly, see, it's Jesus who offers forgiveness for sin. The weight of guilt and shame has been borne by Christ himself. He set us free. It's Jesus, it's this Jesus who offers in his very own person and work he promises he offers rest for those who are weary. There's more than one person in this room who's a kind and weary that you know a nap will not fix. And Jesus says, come to me, I'll give you rest. It's Jesus who says that he's near to the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. It's Christ who's the defender in the scriptures of the weak. He's the one who gives strength to the weak. Strength for the weak is Jesus Christ's specialty. It's the thing he's maybe best at. And he's great at a lot of things. See, it's Jesus who's defeated evil and sin and death and will one day swallow them up forever. And it's Christ who promises in moments like this that he will neither leave you nor forsake you ever. It's Jesus whose nearness can be yours in any and every pain and trial. Yes, following Christ, imitating him can be deeply painful, but oh, the gifts of his presence. Now, you might be here tonight and you might be thinking, I'm not all that committed to following Jesus and I definitely don't want to be now. And what I'd say to you is, on the one hand, I understand that. But on the other hand, I'll just say, oh, but his comforts. Let's pray. Lord, these things are, of course, easier to talk about from a pulpit than to live, to take hold of in the very real difficulties of our life. Lord, so I pray that as we endure trial, 
perhaps not as dramatically as Stephen did. Lord, I pray that we would lean on your presence, your strength, your safety, your security. God, I just ask by the power of your spirit that the truth, the absolute promise that you neither leave us nor forsake us would be precious to us and it would strengthen us. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.